Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Oak Shape Podcast Season 6 with your host, Dan the Fitness Man. Thank you for tuning in. We are excited to have you. This is the podcast that is dedicated to hard work, disciplined decisions, and year-round training in the pursuit of the best possible version of ourselves. We leverage elk hunting to create a pathway. We understand that time is finite and we cannot squander a second. We must be leaders at our home. We understand that faith is our number one priority. Then family, then fitness, then health, then wealth. Our year-round disciplined decisions help us leave a legacy for our family to follow. You will leave here motivated, inspired, and educated. We bring on a wide variety of guests subject matter experts so that you can tune in get what you need to get and continue on your journey we are blessed to call ourselves elk hunters season six here we go welcome to the elk shape podcast this is an impromptu podcast that's the best i got Jason and Jerry with me. This is your father-in-law. Did you ask him for permission? Attaboy. Attaboy. He did, yeah. <laughs> how, how nervous were you when you proposed to your wife? Six. Six. Dude, I did not. That's why I bring that up. It's like I was not planning on being nervous. And then I was immediately when I knew it was go time. I was like, I'm nervous. That's not what we're talking about today, guys. We're talking about arrows. You know, the 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 spin test thing from Pine Ridge that everybody buys for $29.99. I saw them on the website. Might want to throw those away. Might want to throw that in the garbage after learning how to use a Ram spine tester today. Jerry, you invented this how many years ago? I think it was around 20. I, I don't really know exactly. We were using it way before we made it commercially available. So, 
you know, I, I'm just not, I don't have a good number, but it really improved our shooting way back when, and we decided we should try to help everyone else out and start make, manufacturing them. So. Mm. Now, were you born and raised in Moscow, Idaho? Yes, I was. Okay. So you're a Vandals fan? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so is my father-in-law. And are you from Moscow, or where are you from? I'm from Harrison. Okay. So. So you're from Idaho, North Idaho. Right. Okay. So Jason reached out to me after watching me basically make a bunch of YouTube videos where your Ram tester has made a cameo and it was pretty obvious to you guys. Dan didn't know what the hell he was doing. So you were like, <laughs> let's come over and show you. We just filmed that guys. It was freaking awesome. I learned so much, but I wanted to do a podcast with you both to kind of break down the steps and, and simplify it because some people are going to just be overwhelmed, believe it or not, with your machine. Um, but let's start at the top. You just bought yourself a dozen arrows, not pre-fletched because you're a grown-up now. You want to do All big right. boy things, okay? So you're not going to the box store and getting yourself a box of pre-fletched arrows. You bought shafts. Right. You got an arrow saw, or at least you know somebody. What's the first thing you do to build awesome arrows? Well, the first thing I want to do is uh, look at the shafts for imperfections you know, visible imperfections, and then I'll, I'll put it in my spine tester and uh, look for straightness, and especially straightness of the end, because a lot of times you can't see that in your average straightness tester. And if you got a big hook on the end of your arrow and you don't know it's there, it's not going to fly. You know, so we can put it in our in our spine tester and check the ends before we cut the shaft off. If we find a bad spot on one end or the other, we can cut both ends off if we need to to uh, get the straightest part of the shaft. And then I would I would uh, check the spine. And I would find find the uh, spine of the shaft, find the weakest uh, spine of the shaft and all the shafts, and I would mark them on, on each individual shaft so I know where the spine is. And then I'd be ready to make the arrow at that point. I can I can put the knocks in and rotate them and index them to the spine. And uh, just go from there, and that's a really good start because you got an arrow that's straight and you know where the spine of the arrow is, and you can actually match the arrows up that way and, and match them all with spine consistency. Yeah, so like the first thing I learned today is when you moved the bearing all the way really close to the plunger and you had just part of the arrow sticking off like a couple inches and you put the plunger on it. And guys, this plunger just, it spins around. It's got a dial that measures. Jerry, you can give them all the real information about it. But the bottom line is I knew, I did not know about that at all. So you would go in and check and you had one arrow that had great tolerance meaning you put it in the ram tester and it really didn't fluctuate much when you go around without weight on it it's got good tolerance it's good straightness but then you tested the one end and it was garbage and the other end it was awesome and you said dan if you didn't find this out and you put a broadhead on that wobbly end you're gonna be chasing your tail you're gonna be pulling your hair out because you can't get this arrow to fly true that's Right. The highlight of my day was that part of our interaction. Right, because setting it up that way, we can we can check that arrow at multiple points, and we found out that even though that arrow was a little bad out on the end, all we had to do was slide back an inch, and it was running good again. So you just found out you cut an inch off that, it's still a good arrow. The worst thing about that is you, you, you end up shooting this arrow and you start blaming yourself. What did I do wrong? How, why, you know, and then you know, by the time you figured out it's the arrow and not you, it can be really frustrating. So it's nice to get those things weeded out at the beginning. So then you make your cuts. Like you got, you kind of 
basically we're looking for uniformity. I think that's the word that keeps coming back. Like, right. guys, we're not trying to build the world's most perfect arrow. We're trying to get a batch of arrows that are all similar in characteristics so that it matches when it comes out your bow. Flight characteristics so that you can shoot your best. As far, it's not going to make you a better archer per se. Like, that's your technique, your form, repeatability. You got to be a robot. But if you're getting into the game, you want the best arrows in your quiver. So figure out if there's any, you know, maybe you need to cut a little bit from both sides. Um, you get your batch of arrows, you mark where to cut them all, you cut them. Then you want to put them in your ram spine tester and you want to find the stiffest and the weakest spot, or let's just say the stiffest, whatever, whatever your preference is. The thing I learned today was that you guys did a good job of finding an arrow that had a stiff spot and then checking all the other arrows against that stiff spot by resetting the dial to zero. I was not doing that. Right. And it just, it takes the math out of it. You you could read every arrow and say, you know, this one is 250, this one's 256, or you could just reset that dial and you know, you're plus six from zero. It just makes it a lot more appealing or easier for me to look at it in that manner where you're not looking at the whole number. You're just looking at your plus or minus just you know, a wherever. reference point. Just a yeah. reference. Yeah, reference point. That's a great way to put it. So maybe you get a dozen arrows. You figure out if there's any wobbles. You get them cut. Then you figure out their stiffness. And you could even associate that to a number and write it on a piece of paper, arrows 1 through 12. And maybe you grab six that are all around 255 spine or whatever you want to call it. And you got this the stiffest spot marked. Then you're knock indexing and using your tool which is legit, man. Like, I've always just moved a knock and kind of eyeballed it. Jerry built this machine with a level, and you're actually getting it precisely knocked to the exact mark on the arrow. I've never done that, fellas, I'll be honest. Like, that was pretty cool. I did not know about that tool, even though it's sitting in my studio with my shop. <laughs> I've never used that till today. I don't think that has gotten enough information. So people, again, getting intimidated by your product because of, the learning curve, but that's why we made the video on YouTube. You guys are going to have to check it out. We show how to do that. So then you get everything kind of, you get your knock index to the stiffest part of these arrows. Then what do you do? Yeah, you can go through fletch your arrow, you know, whatever configuration you're going to fletch on and then move forward to your, cause we've already talked about cutting it to length, cutting out the bad spots. So we're going to fletch it. We're going to get our insert and whatever you're using, stick that in and you can, Set it up where, preferably, I do it with my broadheads mainly. But you stick that in there. I like hot melt. We talked about that. You can roll that around, and you can see on the dial how much that broadhead's off-center of your arrow shaft. Because we've already checked the arrow shaft. We know what its tolerance is. So we're going to put that on, rotate it around, and you might have to tweak that broad broadhead and insert to get it running as true as possible. Yeah, so like this arrow right here. Built it. It's bougie pro comp, right? Let's say I put it in there and I'm I'm testing and I'm getting some serious tolerance. Like error I don't know what the, what's the way the gauge is moving, let's say to what, fifteen thou, sixteen thou, and I'm like, Oh man, you said to divide by two, Jerry. 
right, for a broadhead when you're testing and you're watching the plunger go up and down and mm-hmm. you're trying to gauge how many thousands that that thing's wobbling. Let's say this thing's wobbling 16,000. You said to divide by two, and I want you to explain that in a second. But the hot melting allows me to dip this in boiling water for a second, get the metal warm enough. Just warm. And then I can move this broadhead in a different position. Right. So and you, then retest. Right, because the inside of your arrows are never going to be perfect to your inserts because two different people made them, you know, just... So you might have a little void in there, a little imperfection. I don't know if imperfection is the right word, but... We'll call it variance. Yeah, variance. So you're just spinning it around trying to fill that variance where you're getting everything lined up as well as you can. So just just another way to make everything concentric to everything else you just did yeah jerry so why divide by two explain that well if this is like the center of your shaft and it it's uh it's kind of a machinist term is tir total indicator reading so if this is is pivoting around the center this being the center and you you mentioned sixteen thousand, so it's going up eight and down eight so that's a total of 16,000, but it's really only 8,000 off center, right? So it's because it's going up eight and down eight. So that's why you get that total indicator reading. So it's a concentricity thing, you know? So really it's only 8,000 off, but if you, you, since you're spinning it around a total concentricity, it'll it show 16,000. That makes complete sense. So, but really, what is the number, fellas? This is your opinion to where you're like, that's not good enough. I want to. Take that hot melt, heat it up, and try something different. What is the number if you can't get it to, no matter what, where that broadhead arrow combination's not going into your quiver for hunting? That's what I want to know. Well, I think it depends a lot, like on the broadhead style, the shape of the broadhead. If you have a really long broadhead and it's out there flopping around, you know, 16,000, let's say, and your arrow's not going to fly very well. If you have a, a real stubby little broadhead and it's maybe out, you know, 4,000 plus or minus two, well, the two thousandths isn't very much. A human hair is four thousandths thick. So you kind of use that as a gauge and you say, well, that's pretty darn close. I can live with that. And a lot of it's your personality. So some people can say, no, it has to be perfect or I'm not shooting. And other people say, well, yeah, that's going to work for me because I can shoot it at my target. I can hit what I'm aiming at with it. I'm okay with that. What's your website, Jason? Just because I bought mine off Amazon, but I would love for them to buy it directly from you because you'll make more money. And you're just like a small town dude who's an elk hunter. I want to support your business. So we're at www.ram-products.com, and uh, yeah, you can find us there. You can place orders online or give us a call, and we'll get her shipped out. Let me give you guys a pro tip, and this is, um, I'm just going to shoot you straight. I bought the Ram Tester. I got your PDF, Jerry. I read through it. It was cool, but I'm not, that's not how people learn nowadays. Uh Your PDF needs to be a YouTube channel. And then every little paragraph needs to be a video showing what you're talking about. So that's your guys' homework. You know, you guys should totally do that. And that's why I wanted to help get a video out there today, uh, selfishly, so I could learn. <laughs> well, we really appreciate your help with it. It's 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 awesome uh, meeting you guys, and, and this is uh, going to be great. So. Cool. Well, I'm stoked for you guys. Now, you guys are both elk hunters. This is the Elk Shape Podcast. Let's talk a little bit of elk hunting. How many years have you been elk hunting, Jason? Oh, since I was 12, so quite a few. Okay. You're in your 30s? 30s. Okay. 
Jerry? Same with me. Yeah, since I was old enough to hunt, it's, you know, 40-some years. I hate to even say it. <laughs> That's awesome. So between the two of you, it's safe to say we got 60, 70 years of elk hunting experience between the two of you? Probably. When did you guys elk hunt together for the first time? Oh, probably 2008 or nine ish Yeah, that sounds about right. Okay. And um sounds like we've hunted some of the similar country, similar terrain, thick, steep. It's elk vocalization game. You don't bring binoculars to the party. Right. Okay. That's cool. I kind of gave up the old thick woods, been hunting more of that open country. I got to tell you guys, I don't have to use my imagination. When you hear a bugle, you usually look over, oh, that's what the bull looks like. Whereas where we all started elk hunting, <laughs> you, you have to use your imagination. Yeah. You don't right. see them till they're in range. Yeah. yeah. And even then... Range is like kind of gray because I can't tell you how many big freaking stud bulls I've had at 10 yards and I actually couldn't get a shot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They know it too. It's crazy. Jerry, what has, what about elk hunting has not changed for you in the last 40 years? There's been a lot of changes. There's been a lot of, there's guys like me who make a career out of elk hunting. It's ridiculous, right? But there's some things about elk hunting that's never going to change. What are some of those that you think that this has not changed about elk hunting? Well, I started out as a young man rifle hunting. That's what my, my father did. And, and uh, I finally grew up, like you'd say, and got a bow one day, and I haven't put it down since, you know. And the one thing that that hasn't changed for me is just, you just really enjoy being out in the woods. And, and you know, where we hunt, that we just have a just a lot of country and the brush has never changed. It's always nasty, and and it's just a, a great time. You know, I haven't just seen a huge amount of changes in it. Okay. I'll flip that to you, Jason. What are some of the biggest changes you have seen in elk hunting in the last few years? Oh, the, probably the population of the elk, callability with the wolves and the excess. You know, more and more people are in the woods just Seems like the bulls aren't as callable as they used to be. Yeah, I lot, buy that. A lot quieter, a lot. They bugle softer or less often or a combination both. thereof? Yeah. Both, I think, less often, mainly. Do you feel like it's taking you guys a lot more time to work a bull up and to really get them to finally respond and, and potentially come in? You know, I think uh, yes and no. But I, I think part of it is we have the same areas a lot, so you kind of got the elk figured out to a point. So you kind of got an advantage there. If I was going to a new area, yeah, I could see having having problems locating them, you know, trying to get them to talk, trying to. But we kind of stop around the same areas and kind of figure out just the routines. And from year to year, they're always similar, not always exactly the same, but similar habits. Mm, that makes sense. I say that uh, one thing I don't miss about where you guys hunt is it always rains no matter what at some point in September. Now, there's been a few dry ones, but I love how the brush stays soaking wet for days. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and you pretty much just got to rotate out boots. Like, there's no gator. There's no rain pant that's going to prevent your – you're going to have wet socks at some point. Mm -hmm. um, but it does keep the woods quiet. Um, alders, huckleberry brush, ferns, all that jazz. Love it. Dark horned bulls. Heavy bulls, maybe not 50-inch main beam type bulls, but just dark, nasty, heavy bulls. I have a lot of nostalgia, a lot of nostalgia about hunting North Idaho bulls, man. But um, how do you guys think the uh, elk are doing kind of like you said the population, the numbers are down. What do you think they're like? What's, 
Like, what's the vibe on the winter status and all that? You know, I haven't uh, I haven't been out much this spring, so I I don't know yet on that. Um, yeah, I just have to get out there and do some more looking. And do you think like elk herd numbers from today versus ten years ago better, worse, or indifferent? You know, from ten years ago, I I would say maybe a little better. Okay. I think you know talking to other people and stuff. I think the wolves have kind of mellowed out a little from you know what it was in the late late 90s early 2000s things are just kind of settling back in and numbers are well what year did you guys run into your first wolves or heard your first wolves elk hunting i to say 10 years ago maybe yeah i don't, I don't really know for sure but they, they really did call them, i mean the the elk just shut up basically that first few years they would not yep. make a peep because they knew what was going to happen you know and they're slowly coming back around to doing a little more talking and stuff but 15 years ago one of the areas i used to hunt we would see a a big bull with 40 50 cows you know and it was it was just incredible and then when the wolves showed up the elk were just scattered and you're lucky if you've seen a bull with three cows is that how it's been the last couple of years too yeah um last year was kind of odd and I talked to a lot of people I know that typically get an elk during archery season that didn't. And I don't know if it's because it was so green last year. The elk just weren't concentrated as much in certain areas. or well, They were probably spread out. Because even when we, when we did run into elk, it was like, you know, a raghorn and two or three cows. You know, there was, I think mm-hmm. the most we ran into last year was maybe 10 in a bunch. That's about 2017, 2018, 2019. That's, those are my last three years of hunting North Idaho. That's, that was my observation. I was like, how do you have three cows? You should be on a finger ridge bugling your head off at a herd bull all day. You know, when I first started North Idaho in the early 2000s, I would see a herd of 30 or 40 cows with one big bull and four or five satellites. Now that makes for some fun hunting, especially if you're not picky. (laughs) Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, couple things about north idaho that i don't love like i don't love a cow season i don't like when cows can get shot during archery season or even during rifle season um in some states that's cool i just don't know if north idaho well we all know north idaho's not does not have a management objective in writing what a bummer i can't think of a greater place to hunt elk like to absolutely learn how to hunt elk and get your teeth kicked in dude i mean you're I've said it before, I'll say it again. You kill a big bull in North Idaho, my friends, you can kill a bull almost anywhere else in the U.S. Because it's just something about how hard it is there. So if anyone's listening, looking for a challenge, knock yourself out. I mean, it's really tough. It could be a pretty frustrating deal. Calling tactics. Do you guys call for each other? Do you split up? How does that work? Yeah, we're usually hunting with at least two people. Um, Usually me, Jerry, and my brother, if we go out together and, you know, one of us is trying to call and usually ends up working the best if you have a separate caller because the elk aren't looking for the guy shooting you know mm-hmm. and it, it just seems to always work out better that you way do like a flying v like one caller two shooters or we have you know? just depends on the situation the train mm-hmm. the do you guys do elk camp in the same spot every year yeah mm-hmm. okay one what? thing i just can't teach jason though is to call it an elk and straight in front of me so I can just shoot, you know, it's like, like this, yeah, straight like up that, and down. or you can't even see it, you know, you can see his foot, but that's it, you know, he needs to learn that, I just can't. I would build a <laughs> different arrow to hunt North Idaho, seriously, 
I've brush cutters. Yeah, brush cutters. <laughs> I've killed most of my elk with an arrow north of 500 grains. I'm down in the 420 range for our, these open country elk. Man, I want trajectory flat. What I'd go heavy for sure, heavier, relatively speaking. Um, okay, so you guys do the same camp every year. Are you guys able to hunt the entire month or just like specific days or weeks? Usually just weekends, afternoons, you know, whenever we can get out. Okay, what do you guys think about what's worse, Washington plate or California plate at your trailhead? It's all it's all people. Oh, yeah, yeah safe answer. Yeah, they're both really disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> it's an honesty. Yeah, I still have Idaho plates on my truck. We had a place up the river. I'm probably going to switch back to Washington just to piss more guys off like yourself. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, I've, if you, um, if you know anything about me, man, and I got just so much love for, for Idaho, it's my favorite state. And mainly just because how steep it is. It's the true equalizer. I've hunted all states out West for elk. I, I went and killed a bull in New Mexico last year, like 9,000 feet. It was a it was a cakewalk. I terrain speaking, just not talking elk hunting. I get back to Idaho after that the next day, and dude, I'm stopping like way more breaks, way more out of breath. And it was I was a thousand feet lower. It was just that much steeper. So I like Idaho because it's just I think it's the steepest state out there. If you flatten Idaho out, how many states could you cover? Several. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's great. Um, last but not least, gentlemen, um, when it comes to like identifying things to work on leading up to elk season, Jason, you're running the business. Jerry, you're retired, but it sounds like you don't know how to retire. What do you guys work on to stay in your A game? For those listening, this is the Elk Shade Podcast. What are some of your best practices to be ready for when elk season starts? For me, it was the indoor league, just shooting, 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 shooting. If you get familiar with your bow, so when this elk pops up in front of you, you don't have to stop and think. You know, it's instinct. That That, that is for me, just shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. Yeah, you know, and paper doesn't lie. You know, right. you can 3D target, man. You can kind of blur. You can kind of about know the spot to put it. There ain't no little tiny thing you're looking at circle-wise that's going to give you a, you know, well, there is, but you don't see it. So I do think there's something to be said about joining a winter league and shooting paper and quantifying, measuring, repeatable. Like you were saying, you said such a hot tip, Jason, on the YouTube video that I'm going to make you say it here too. You you said you've shot a lot of rounds of Vegas because of Jerry and his influence. What was what were you saying on the, on the YouTube video? It was really cool. Oh, I just I I ended up shooting one one year league with him, but I just. Didn't uh, didn't have the confidence in my equipment before that. You know, I was just always, like you said, get some kid arrows, go out and buy some RA pre-fletched and run them. And once he talked me into actually spining them, checking them, getting everything lined up right, my confidence went up, so did my score. I mean, it it wasn't a huge jump, but it was a, it was it was a huge confident boost. Mm. And that's that's where everything comes together. If you're confident in your equipment, you're going to do better. There is a way to buy confidence and it's not with your checkbook. There's a way to do it. And how I, everyone does it a little different to me, I'm going to add the Ram spine tester into that equation. Something I haven't taken advantage of. 
Um, I'm going to have arrows that all are uniform characteristics. I'm going to still shoot every day. I'm still going to go out to that gym out there and break a sweat even when I don't feel like it. I'm going to get my e-scouting in. That's how I buy my confidence. Jerry, what are some of the things you've done besides Winter League to buy your confidence when it comes to just the elk hunting world? Was it the shooting, really? Or was there also, like, did you do boots on the ground, scouting? Did you read any elk behavior or biology books? Did you have a mentor? Like, I'm just trying to help our new elk hunters out there kind of glean from your guys' experience. Hey, guys, this podcast is brought to you by Hard Work. That's right. I can't do it for you. Only you can do it for you. And that's what we are selling. I hope you're buying. We're also brought to you by Matthews Archery, Vortex Optic, Onyx Hunt, Numa Outdoors, Kufaru International, MagView, Wilderness Athlete, Buck Knights, USA, Crispy Hunting, Stealth Cam, Marsupial, Baku E-Bikes, Black Ovis. And we have some discount codes to help you save some loot. Eurooptic.com. For anything for Vortex, use the discount code ELK10 to save 10% off. If you're looking for swag, go to Vortex Wear, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE, and save 20%. Elite membership with OnX, enter the discount code ELKSHAPE, 20% off. Numa Outdoors, 20% off. The code is ELKSHAPE20. For Kufaru, it's ELKSHAPE15. Exclusions are shelters. MagView, discount code ELKSHAPE10% off. Wilderness Athlete, 20% off. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE23. For Stealth Cam Non-Sell, discount code ELKSHAPE20 will get you 20% off. And for Cellular, use the discount code ELKSHAPE10 to take 10% off. If you're in the market for a back to e-bike, discount code ELKSHAPE will take $300 off. And where I shop for all my gear is blackobus.com. Enter the discount code ELKSHAPE for 10% off. Sheet Feet, the discount code is ELKSHAPE for 10% off. Fatty Meat Sticks, discount code ELKHUNTER for 10% off. Alien Holsters, discount code ELKSHAPE10 for 10% off. Crossover Symmetry, discount code elk shape for 20% off and canvas cutter finally discount code elk shape will take 10% off back to the show well i guess for me it, it, it would be like learning the country and do a lot of hiking and stuff in the off season i mean i love the woods anyway so spend a lot of time out hiking and stuff and it gets closer to the season uh watch for sign you know i mean you're not going to be successful if you don't know where the elk are, right? And they tend Mike to drop. They tend to move around a lot. So you know, if you, you know, if you if you know and trust your equipment and you know how to shoot, I don't know anybody doesn't get crazy nervous when a bull elk stands stand in front of them. <clears throat> if you have to think, oh, I have to do this, I have to do that, you just shoot because you, your body already knows how to do that. All you got to do is aim. You know, your job is aiming. The rest of it is mechanics of your body, muscle memory. You know, so. You know, being familiar with equipment and, and the country, a lot of hiking and stuff. So That's awesome. Okay, well, let's finish with uh, the 2022 elk story that you just you showed me a picture of your bull. Give us a story, and we'll call it a pod. That bull was uh, <clears throat> a big day. <laughs> we were going through the woods, just kind of calling, trying to locate and stuff, and, and finally we heard uh, a bugle. It was probably a mile and a half away two miles maybe we started hiking closer and closer and closer and then we could hear a lot of noise or elk running around you know how it is when you get in the middle of a herd of elk and and uh we got in and we could hear a, just a bunch of racket in the brush couldn't see anything typical north idaho right one cow call this bull just comes flying down the hill there's i mean it was really intimidating and 
Because they sound like freight trains. They all, right. Yeah, they're you knocking over trees. We, yeah. yeah. So I'm standing behind this tree. This one can't see me. It's fairly open where I'm at. He's coming down through the brush, and he stops on the other side of the tree. And I'm, I have my bow down. I'm waiting for him to come out. He's probably 20 yards away. He's standing there waiting for the cow to call again. He doesn't know where we are or anything, and it's just kind of a stalemate. I hold my bow for probably three or four minutes. Full <laughs> draw? Finally, yeah, full draw. I'm finally starting to shake. Again, shoot a lot. You can do those kind of things. So I finally just kind of start leaning out, and I can see his, his body, his chest cavity, and then all of a sudden I can see, you know, the spot and I release and he spins and takes off and and uh it was I didn't couldn't even see his antlers from where I were there in the brush oh that's the it best. was shocking when I got up to him you know but it we, we followed followed him for a little bit and, and there he was and it was it was a really fun day and then the really work started after that we had to pack him <laughs> out but. but you got Jason and his brother right <laughs> uh, I was working at the time he he couldn't even get a hold of me oh no <laughs> what um release aid do you use for elk hunting, I have a little goose, a Scott little goose. Yeah, yep. I think Scott made some of the best, arguably the best indexes. Um, and I think indexes are a good idea for elk hunting. It does happen fast. I do prefer a handheld, ultimately for all my shooting. But this year, I've advertised that I'm going back to an index for elk, just because it's like it's so fast. You um, know, I I tried the uh, handheld one year for elk hunting, and the one thing I didn't like was when you lost it <laughs> yeah you can well, set it down somewhere right well yeah exactly go? when you're calling you're always grabbing for your call yep and you'd have to either clip it on your string or put it in your pocket or you know try to hang on to your bow and everything and that's the reason i i tried it one year and i was like nope not for me oh man my the youtube comments i i said I, in that video i posted about that there's guys like well why don't you just clip it on your d loop and walk around it's like dude you you just have never elk hunted yeah you don't know that that's coming off or that I've tried a buckle strap, and I hate a piece of metal clanging in my hand. Uh, what else have I tried? Oh, they do make some that kind of like there's a little holster you can put in now and attach it to your bow. That's kind of cool, but I also don't really want that on my bow. But, yeah, no, I do think for most elk hunters, you should probably use an index. It does happen fast. Guys, so glad you came over and just shared some information. I love elk hunters. Um so I have enjoyed every second with you guys. You guys are elk hunters. If you guys were just archery nerds, we'd be done. But I got nothing but respect for your business. One last time, it is the www.ram-products.com. Yep. And um, you're, you're out of uh, – your, your manufacturing is out of Rathrum or Athol? Yeah, we're between – between I say Rathrum. Athol yeah. always thinks like people thinks you're saying something that you're not supposed to, <laughs> and uh, that's cool. Um, well, guys, we have showed you how to get some separation through preparation, and that is arrow tinkering. Be on the lookout for the video version of our interaction and in showing how to do all this awesome stuff. Support these local guys and uh, stay on your grind. We'll catch you on the next one. Well, friends, that was a cool little episode. That was actually pretty impromptu, meaning Jason is kind of running that company nowadays. And a mutual friend of his saw one of our videos where we had the RAM tester, and I was just checking basically arrow to arrow the different spines. So for an example, 
if I'm running 300 RIP TKO Elites, uh, I just put them all in there and some of the spines are 296 and 303. And so I was just batching arrows trying to, you know, get spine tolerances. And uh, his buddy saw that video and um, I think he reached out to Dirk Durham and was like, hey, do you have Dan's number? And Dirk gave him my number. He reached out to me, said, hey, my buddy runs that company and he lives not too far from you. Would you like him to come over and like show you all the ins and outs? And I was like, oh, yes, please. So kudos for Jason to come over. And then I did not know he was bringing his father-in-law and I did not. I mean, that was awesome because this guy invented the thing and he's an engineer and you can just tell he's just a good old, like these are just good old North Idaho bros that people I just love. And uh, it was a cool conversation. The reason why we're kind of going a little over here, just solo is I wanted to kind of talk to you guys about the nuance of the arrows and building arrows. So bear shaft tuning, I have done it quite a bit and it's pretty painful for me. And I don't know if there's any way around not doing it if you want like absolute perfection coming out of your bow. It's really probably a good practice, but you gotta have your technique dialed. You gotta not torque the bow. You gotta be able to rotate the knock and be patient, have lots of time, really organize your arrows, have them labeled, and you're just gonna shoot through paper without fletching, with all your front end components on the end of the arrow, and you're just seeing, you know, what does it take to get a bullet hole out of my bow? Pretty cool. And also shooting through paper, even once you have arrows fleshed, is a really good way to just make sure you're not torquing. All your tears should be pretty consistent. And if you have any slight variance, it'll show up on paper most likely. And you, maybe you're torquing the bow. It all starts with the grip and just being able to repeat that process. The other thing to think about is like instead of going right to paper tuning, you know, take those bare shafts, put them in the ram spine tester get them all kind of batched for uniformity on spine tolerance. How much will they flex? Which ones have the similar amount of flex? That's cool. And then before you cut them, maybe mark where you're going to cut them. And then just, you can set up the spine tester to test the end of every arrow. And maybe you need to cut one end off. It's just a bad part of the arrow. Or maybe you need to cut a little off both sides and you'll have a straighter arrow. I mean, if you have a, a little bend in your arrow, whatever that is, and you don't catch it, and you end up putting a broadhead on there, it's going to wobble, and you're going to fight that arrow. So the spine indexing on the ram tester was really a, a no-brainer for me with the level and the way to really mark up once you have your stiffest or weakest, whatever you want to you know, align to. That is a great way to index. Get arrows grouped in batches, and then once you build your arrows, you can put uh, that attachment on there and get your broadhead on there and check your broadhead spin. Obviously, you could do that on ta a table if you're really good and check for wobbles or an, um, a Pine Ridge arrow tester, which I kind of was joking, like, get rid of. I still use that quite a bit. But I definitely don't think any of those methods are as good as using the RAM tester. And you can even do it with your, like, fill points if you're getting really nerdy about tack. Like, I'm probably going to take all my tack arrows, and I use glue and inserts, and I'm going to just just make sure how which ones are flying and have the least amount of wobble. A couple of my pro comps that I hot melted in have wobbles, so I'm going to have to reheat those, move them a little, and which is honestly why I think hot melting might be the ticket. And if you are going to hot melt, I've heard horror stories, so... Buy your hot melt from um, Iron Will Outfitters. They have the best. And then you can just use a heat gun like I did. It's super easy. Check out our videos on YouTube. I did a pro comp arrow build using hot melt. And then obviously we made a video with these guys 
showing step-by-step how to use the RAM spine tester because nobody had done it proper yet, and uh, that's awesome. Speaking of like YouTube, man, I'm still putting a ton of energy into YouTube with uh, Jake and Clem. Those guys have their own channels. One is called Fish Edit Repeat, and then Jake's channel is called Elk Shape Gear. And those guys are pumping out good content. And then for me on the the main channel, I'm still just trying to put out bangers. We just filmed a four-part series in Wisconsin. If you haven't watched that, I really like it. I think it's a good watch, especially if you have some time. Four episodes. And it literally is probably the most access I've ever given to anyone who's never been to my Elk Shape Camp. You can see really kind of what it goes on. It's pretty life-changing. And the people are always amazing. I love Wisconsin, by the way. And then speaking of Elk Shape Camps 2024, this is where I start planning. And there's one missing component to my camps that I'm really thinking about uh, bringing back into is finding a place where we all can stay together for three days versus um, people having to get hotels and and people all spread out. I really like when all the campers are together as much as possible. It really strengthens the bonds and relationships. And that's the key component of my camp is meeting like-minded people. And I, I mean, a lot of hunting partnerships have started from camps because people have a similar level of commitment and interest and maybe they live 30 miles away and they start shooting together, start training together, start creating hunt plans together. And that's that's really important for public land success. Hopefully you've drawn some tags by this point. I'm sitting with a couple tags in my pocket right now. I'm pretty stoked. Struck out in New Mexico. But boy, if you didn't strike out, um, you probably text me. I got a, just got a text right now. It's probably somebody telling me they drew New Mexico. Um, but other than that, I think um, once you get your tag, I'm mainly talking to those who don't have a lot of elk hunting experience. It's really time to start digging in and creating a hunt plan and a hunt strategy and figuring out how can you dissect this unit, understand where all the roads are at, where are all the forest service roads, where can you take an ATV, a side-by-side, a dirt bike, an e-bike, um, where are the most overlooked parts of the unit? Where are the elk going to retreat to when pressure arrives and it will arrive? And then where do where does everybody want to camp? Like, And then if they're camping there, where what trailheads are they most likely to hit? Where is the most pressure going to end up? And how are the elk going to react? You really got to have these hunt plans dialed and in writing. I like to print them out. Um, check out Mark Livesey's e-scouting course. It's pretty detailed, like almost overwhelming detailed for some people. It's perfect. Knuckle draggers like me, I, I I just went in and did it, and I can't do everything. Remember how to do everything, but I know enough now to be da- to, to be dangerous. And uh, I do have a discount code. I think still it's elk shape. It'll take I think twenty bucks off or twenty percent off something like that. The other one is the the elk collective. I'm a part owner in. Uh, we created 180 videos, basically breaking down how to kill elk on public land. Everything from how to s- select a hunting partner and how to locate elk, how to make vocalizations, elk behavior biology. Uh, we have a discount code it's elk shape podcast all one word that'll give you a little bit of savings hop on there and start watching videos you need time to get through that much content and uh, get going on that and then lastly building your arrows guys I, I think it is something that if you're working on your technique and you're like me and you really want to batch arrows and put the best grouped arrows with the most uniformity that's that ram tester is pretty money i bought it a while back uh off amazon I would encourage you to buy it directly from them. They'll make more money, and they're just a small-town operation. They're not like a big corporation, so obviously support them. I don't have a code or anything with them. We talked about doing something, but I think ultimately you just got to help this blue-collar family out, and uh, that's what I got. Thanks for listening to this episode. I did want to mention bear season is it's here for me. I haven't been out yet, but I'm going to head out soon. And uh, in my optics kit, I usually bring like a Razor 65 
angled spotter because I spend most of my time sitting in a chair on a master glass just watching for bears, seeing bears, and then trying to find the right bear to go after, not only like maturity-wise, but really in a spot that I can get to and take advantage of. And bears are so interval-based in the spring. They come out, they feed, they head back in, they lay down. Um, the earlier the better, but the snowpack's pretty deep this year, so I don't know where I'm, I haven't seen the hills yet. Vortex just came out with their new, their new Razor 4000 GB, so if you want to run ballistics, uh, that's going to be a good option for you. I have the, the, the normal Razor 4000 and the Viper 3000. I generally run the Viper 3000 for all my archery needs. I like the display better. But for rifle hunting, uh, I'm definitely I'm a fan of the Razor 4000 or the Furies. I have kind of both and, and go back and forth. So you rifle hunters out there, you might want to lock that in. That just came out. Um, you can score that kind of stuff. I do have a code with Vortex, but you have to buy it at eurooptic.com and use the code ELK10 at checkout for anything Vortex. That'll get you 10% off, save you some loot. Speaking of saving loot, hopefully you have a hunt budget. Hopefully you have a hunt account. Your wife knows about it or your other half and you are putting money in there and those dollars are responsible for making sure that your hunt is not a burden on their family's budget. And speaking of deposits, you are making deposits right now in your family's bank account. Daddy, daughter dates with your son as well. One-on-one time with your wife, family vacations, so that you can withdraw in the fall when it's time to go. Appreciate you guys' support. You have a lot of options when it comes to podcasts. Thanks for choosing ours, and separation is in the preparation. Peace.